hey everybody, it's Tim. It's the honor roll. You know how we do things here. Five movies. Any ones that are good go on my honor roll. And then I pick my top 10 from that honor roll at the end of the year. Any ones that are bad, I never think of again. So let's jump right into this. I have got my Dunkin' Donuts coffee and I am ready to do things. So let's get started with VHS 94. We'll get into the writers and directors as we go through the different segments here because this is an, an anthology movie with different writers and directors for each of them. This stars Anna Hopkins, Christian Potenza, and Brian Paul, and a whole bunch of others. This is the fourth film in the VHS series. It's a series that I enjoy, even if I don't necessarily love it. Uh, there are segments that I love in them, but it is very hit or miss. And unlike a lot of anthology stories, it's centered less around the stories themselves and the, and the scripts themselves, and is instead more about the visual side of things, because it is kind of a found footage found footage anthology series. So I think these lose a little bit more for me personally on rewatches than some of the other anthology movies like a like a creep show. I really like VHS 1 and VHS 2. VHS uh, viral I believe is what the third one is called. Eh, I wasn't crazy about. Uh, but that kind of for me that kind of losing a bit on rewatch comes with the territory when you're doing a found footage style movie as a lot of their effectiveness um, is due to the immediacy immediacy you feel when you are watching them so i will say this vhs2 features maybe my all-time favorite anthology segment ever with timo Giganto and gareth evans safe haven segment it is completely insane and if you haven't seen it and you are listening to this stop listening to this and go watch it but I don't think this one, VHS 94, has a segment that reaches the heights of that particular segment, but I think all but one segment works really well. I've seen people online say this is a perfect anthology movie because there isn't a bad segment, and I guess there's not a bad segment, but I'm not really sure there is a great one in here either. There are two really good ones, and one that might be great. Uh, this is a very solid collection with a couple of uh, very good standouts, though. So I am going to do what I do, what I love to do, not what I do best, probably, but what I love to do, which is rank things. So let's rank these segments. And we're going to start with number five. There are five main segments, including the wraparound segment, uh, framing segment, whatever you want to call it. But number five is The Terror. This one is written and directed by Ryan Prowse, who directed a 2017 movie called Low Life, which is about a failed luchador who gets caught up in a web of kidnapping and murders in East L.A. And oh my God, I have to watch this. Uh, Terror, this segment centers around an extremist group called the First Patriots Movement Militia in Detroit, Michigan, or around the Detroit area. I won't say which area went through my head while watching it, but there was one. Uh, they are plotting to blow up a government building and take back America. There's also a creature involved in this, and that's all I will say. I will also say there's some very good gore here. Uh, there's a good face rip. Always love oh. Give me a good face rip any day of the week. Uh, but there's a good face rip in particular. A lot of these segments in this movie revolve around fanaticism, whether it be political, religious, scientific. So this is kind of the political uh, fanatic uh, segment of the movie. And that's kind of a nice thematic through line. And sometimes these segments, these anthology series don't necessarily have that. I think the creep show, the creep show movies do a good job of that, particularly the first one. Um, this is where this is the last main major segment in the movie, and this is where it started. To, this is about an hour and forty-five minutes, I believe. This movie, and this is where it started to feel a bit long in the tooth, though. This segment kind of dragged for me, and it took a lot of time getting to the good stuff. The aforementioned face rip, I'm I'm 
mainly talking about. I also prefer not to spend a ton of time with militia members, but that's just me. Um, and this segment spends a ton of time with militia members. So it's a bit of a drag, honestly. And this is this is my least favorite segment of the bunch. Next up, number four, I have Holy Hell. This is the kind of the wraparound, the framing segment that kind of runs throughout the film. It's written and directed by Jennifer Reeder, who has done quite a few short films that have won awards. This follows a SWAT team raiding a warehouse during a drug bust while a voice plays over the speaker system saying, all are welcome, all are watching. Finally, followers, tonight is the night you've been waiting for. Track my signal. The signal is the stimulant. The signal is the sedative. The signal is salvation. It's also, we kind of go through different rooms and see different screens in the warehouse, and that's where the segments play out in front of the SWAT team, the different segments in the movie. Wraparound segments are tough, and while this isn't the best one ever, it does a decent enough job. With the wraparound segment, you need to make it interesting enough so that your audience doesn't groan when you cut away from it to the other um, to the other major segments. But it also can't be so interesting that the audience is distracted during the other segments, going like, "Oh, I wonder what I, I wonder what was going on in that the one that's been running throughout the movie." You also kind of have to breadcrumb the story effectively so that people want to learn more, and then you've got to deliver and. I think this does all of the things I mentioned effectively, if not amazingly. So that's why I've got it at number four on this one. Number three, The Empty Wake. Now we're getting to the good stuff. The other two aren't bad. I I wasn't crazy about the terror, but I think from here on out, we are getting into some really solid segments that are that are good at the very least. This one's written and directed by Simon Barrett, who is returning to the VHS franchise. He wrote the wraparound for part one, as well as the segment, The Sixth the sick thing that happened to Emily when she was younger, which was directed by Joe Swanberg. I believe that was VHS one, two. He also directed the framing narrative in part two. We'll talk a little bit more about him later. I believe he's a producer on these, but I, I should have looked that up, I guess. Uh, the empty wake is about a woman named Haley who was assigned to watch over the wake of a man. Um, nobody shows up for this wake, so she's alone for most of the night while a thunderstorm rages outside and noises begin to come from inside the casket. This is a very straightforward segment. It's almost kind of like a creepy Northeastern ghost story in some ways. It's not plot heavy, but it it works in that it gets creepier and creepier as it goes along. And it's all atmosphere. Uh, But that's okay because it nails it and it builds and builds to the conclusion. And what the reveal is of what is inside the casket is all done very well. And it delivers on what our imagination has has been working on throughout the story. This is a very solid segment, I think. Number two, then. So that was number three. My number two favorite segment here is Storm Drain. And oh, baby, is this all about Ratman. Ratman, a new hero hero in the horror world, has emerged from the sewers of, I believe, Ohio. And his name is Ratma. Hail Ratma is all I have to say. This one is written and directed by Chloe Okuno. She's mostly done short films. She does have a feature in, in post-production, I believe, or in production that stars Maika Monroe that's coming out that's called The Watcher. Anyway, this one here, Storm Drain, rocks. It's about a reporter and her cameraman who head into the sewers of Ohio, I believe. I believe it's Ohio. And I'm not going to make the obvious Ohio joke here, but I will make mention of it so you can if you want. Uh, I'm, I'm from Michigan, just so you know. So they are in search of the rat man and the urban legend that has been spotted in the sewers. And the sewers, they are approached by a man living there who says Ratma over and over and he starts spitting up black liquid. So he's very cool, very friendly, a nice greeting. 
into these sewers where Rema reigns. Rema is also very cool. We do meet him a little bit later on. He's very Monster of the Week, kind of X-Files-ish in his appearance, which is very fitting, honestly, for the time of the mid-90s. He's also kind of xenomorphy as well. Maybe a little bit of Master Splinter from the Ninja Turtles mixed in for good measure. I like him. He's really cute. Uh, I would like my own Rama. Um, this has an absolutely hilarious ending as well. It's, it's just really funny. I won't say much else because part of the fun is watching this one unfold. Um, this is the one that kind of touches on the religious fervor that I mentioned earlier as a kind of thematic through line throughout this. Um, funny, funny how in these days we're getting a lot of, um, kind of cult style horror. Uh, the news camera crew conceit is also kind of an effective way to utilize the found footage gimmick as well. It's not a cheat, but it does allow the movie to kind of convey information in a way that isn't eye rolling because it's a news crew spitting out exposition. It's nice. Uh, that's my number two. I'm going to just end that review by saying hail Ratma. Number one though, is the subject. This is written and directed by Timo Tejanto, who I mentioned earlier. I love him. He did The Night Comes for Us recently, which is one of my favorite flicks of the past few years. Willie also loved it. So check it out if you haven't. I believe it's on Netflix. This segment, though, is a is the mad scientist one, though. Um, it's very Tetsuo, a little bit Resident Evil-ish, a little bit of Doom, uh, the movie, a little bit of first-person shootery. It's the best segment in this collection and probably one of the best in the series when I sit down and think about it. So maybe this does have a great segment and this is it. I don't know if I want to give away the plot here, but it's about a couple of people who wake up to find themselves at the mercy of a mad scientist who is looking to melt flesh with metal to prove that they can coexist. It switches to first person quite a bit. It feels like a first person shooter survival game and that works really well, shockingly. I don't know if it's... It's kind of the short length of it all, or just it really, really delivers on the gore front. And there's some gnarly stuff that occurs as it goes along, and it builds really, really well. And a ton, it also tells a fun little Frankenstein story. This is my favorite of the segments, and probably the one I was would signal out for people as the one to watch. So. I am going to put this one on the honor roll based on the strength of the two segments, the subject and storm drain. It does get a little long for an anthology movie, but I think those two segments combined with the fact that the rest of the segments are all pretty solid at the very least puts this on there. So hail Rama. All right. I'm going to move through the next batch uh, a little bit quicker here. The next one up is seance. Uh, this was one that I was looking forward to as it's written, directed by Simon Barrett, who we just talked about. He wrote your next, the guest, the newer Blair, which that came out a few years back. I believe this is his first uh, directorial movie directing credit. I, I have to look it up, but I'm quite a, I'm a big fan of quite a few of the movies he's been involved with. The star Suki Waters House, Madison Beatty, and Inanna Sarkis. It is on Shudder now. I should mention, too, I didn't mention it there. VHS 94 is also on Shudder. It is about a Camille, a young woman who arrives at the Fairfield Academy following one of the students' untimely and violent death. Yeah, so this is a bit of a letdown, honestly. It features this really odd fisheye camera throughout the movie that, especially early on, I'm sure, I'm sure it's supposed to make the viewer feel uneasy or whatever, but all it did was distract me, and I just kept going, what the hell is the camera like that? There are some technical issues with this movie that I had. Uh, the influences here are pretty obvious. Uh, think Suspiria. Everything is pretty obvious about this movie, honestly. I actually think I might be getting kind of worn out of kind of the fetishization of the old like 70s and 80s horror movies and it kind of hit me during this movie uh but maybe i was just worn out with this movie that could be it i don't know it's kind of a dull movie so 
there is one thing I'll have to I have to talk about in this movie. In the movie, one of their roommates dies, and the character asks the question: "Asks the question, aren't you supposed to get an automatic 4.0 if your friend dives out a window?" This stopped me dead in my tracks, and honestly, may have uh, distracted me throughout the movie. And I had to look into this because this is the exact same plot used in the 1998 comedy starring Mark Paul Gossler and Tom Everett Scott. Dead Man on Campus. Not a great comedy, by the way, but it does feature an absolutely show-stopping Lachlan Monroe performance. Truly one for the ages. Anyway, in that movie, they discover a clause that states, if your roommate dies, you get an automatic A for the semester. So they try to find someone who is on the verge of committing suicide to move in with them. Yikes. Uh, It's very dark. I do not think it would get made today, and nor should it really. So, But I had to go to Snopes to check out to see if this urban legend was true. And I got the answer to my question here. It is false. Although many schools, and this is taken from Snopes, although many schools will offer some sort of bereavement consideration under exceptional circumstances, no college in the United States has a policy awarding a 4.0 average to a student whose roommate dies. This rumor appears to be of fairly recent origin, dating back from approximately the mid-1970s. It most likely started out as an expression of the pressure students feel to achieve good grades in the form of a morbid joke. And the joke became a legend when it is when it was spread as true by credulous students picking up variations along the way. A similar theme of suicide can be found in the pencil suicide legend, which I have to look up, uh, but I did not. Uh, this is also used in the Matthew, Matthew Lillard horror movie from 1998 called Dead Man's Curve, apparently. I have to watch this as well. Now that that question is answered, I will ask myself the question, is seance on the honor roll? And no, it is not. It's over-familiar, visually murky and distracting. I zoned out about halfway through and started thinking about dead men dead men on campus, which is never a good sign, but also something that happens quite a bit to me. All right. Next up real quick is There's Someone Inside Your House, which is on Netflix right now. This one is directed by Patrick Bryce, who directed the Creep movies starring Mark Duplass, both of which I really liked. Uh, this is based on a novel that came out in 2017 by Stephanie Perkins that I'm actually kind of interested in checking out to see if I hate the characters in the novel like I did in the movie, or if it's something that happened in translation. The book got good reviews. Was it compared to Scream? And I know what you did last summer, and that is pretty obvious in the movie itself. I would not compare this to Scream, though. I know what you did that last summer is in a bad... Urban Legend is also a good one. Is in a bad comparison. This is also produced by Sean Levy, who did the Night on the Museum movies, and he just directed Free Guy, and also produced by James Wan. So it has a pretty solid pedigree all around. They said said in interviews that this movie is going for a mix of those aforementioned 90s slashers and kind of of coming-of-age John Hughes movies, like The Breakfast Club and Sixteen Candles, and well, I mean, sure, I guess. I honestly think that's the biggest issue I had with this movie is that it feels like a movie about teenagers made by old guys, but the old guys are also, like, way too online, it seems. That's that's at least how it feels to me. These, these movies, those movies I mentioned, Scream and the John Hughes movies, they feel natural to me, or at least there's a romanticism to them that kind of helps them along. These characters feels feel like they are taken directly from reading social media. They don't feel like real kids. And I'm curious if the novel is different in that way, and I hope it is. The plot of this one is sees the graduating class of Osborne High being targeted by a masked assailant intent on exposing the darkest secret of each victim. And only a group of misfit outsiders can stop the killings. The stars Sidney Park, Theodore Pellerin, and Aja Cooper. Oh, Varsity Blues is the other one that ran through my head during this. This movie feels 
like a collection of references with a story that is told in an overwhelmingly cynical way for much of the movie. And that's fine. I have no issue with the cynical flick, believe me. But the characters, like I said, they never feel real to me. And honestly, this is a pretty, uh, it's a pretty annoying, pretty shitty kid, group of kids, say for maybe one or two of them. I have a soft spot for teen slasher and horror movies, and I really hope we can continue to get them. But this one kind of rubbed me the wrong way. It's unearned nastiness in my opinion or at least nastiness and cynicism without depth and it's not particularly clever either i can see some kid watching this now though and like this will end up being their urban legend so i can't i can't fault it for that so because i love urgent legend as well they will look back finally on it as it's kind of a forgotten slasher of this time frame that we are currently in because we are getting a little bit of a slasher boom right now which is cool so this is kind of something like maybe a cherry falls and and that's cool but decidedly not for me on the honor roll nope when the Fear Street movies came out earlier this summer, there was a ton of talk, especially after the first one, about how unlikable the characters were. And I didn't agree with that. I thought they were psychotic at times and certainly like heightened emotionally, but there were moments of empathy with the characters in those flicks. And I didn't get that with this one, maybe until later on in the movie. And by that point, it was too late for me. I never connected with this group of kids and I didn't really enjoy myself with their someone inside your house. Next up is Karen, written and directed by Coke Daniels. I'm not familiar with Coke's work, but after jumping around his IMDb, it looks like he did a stoner comedy called Highway 420, which stars Keith David as a stoner. It also has Eddie Griffin, Eric Estrada, and Tiny Lister as well. So there you go. It's about two marijuana-loving brothers, Earl and Ray, Earl and Ray Ray, who embark on a journey in search of a mythical highway in Kentucky, which they believe will lead them to marijuana nirvana. Well, I hope they found it, and I hope they found Keith David, a stoned Keith David as well. We're talking about Karen, though, not Highway 420. Karen currently sits at a sterling 2.8 on IMDb. I bet she's not happy about that. And it stars Cody Hardick, Jasmine Burke, and Taryn Manning, who is in Oranges of the New Black. But I remember her mostly from 8 Mile and Hustle and Flow. She plays Karen, the Karen. Her name is actually Karen. There's one good line in this movie where a character says, Karen is a Karen. I guess God has a sense of humor. Oh, and the poster is really good for this movie as well. It's got Taron Manning's face on it really close up and red font over top of it. And it says crazy period entitled period racist. Uh, This is about a racist woman takes it, takes it as a personal mission to displace the new black family that had just moved into the neighborhood, but they won't back down without a fight. That's the plot of the movie. It's kind of similar to, I guess like Lakeview Terrace a little bit, if I recall a little bit different, I know, but kind of racial tension between neighbors. It's similar to that, but I kind of like that movie. This movie is very bad and I would prefer not to spend too much time talking about it because it deals with a lot of serious and very weighty issues. And it does so in a very incompetent way that you can't help but laugh at it. But then you almost feel bad at laughing at it because it's so earnest at times. I don't know terrible movie a delightful performance by Taryn Manning as Karen though she's pretty wacky and she's the president of the homeowners association as well so I guess that is also scary Uh, I have never had to deal I've heard some horror stories but I will probably never make enough money to know what it's like to deal with a Karen president of an HOA I watched this movie on BET now quick BET aside I didn't have BET growing up as a kid in northern Michigan not a lot of demand for black entertainment television up in my neck of the woods if you can believe it but I had family in lower Michigan and we would go on trips as well and they had BET and this was cool because I was very much into hip hop at the time and they would play deeper cuts on BET like I was 
uh, I was just used to watching normal MVT. Like, for example, I was a big Outkast fan when I was a kid, and it started around their second album, AT Aliens. Now, there were two singles off of AT Aliens, Elevators, Me and You, and the title track. Now, if you're lucky, you might get to see the video for Elevators on MTV. That was the biggest hit from that album. That was actually the song and video that kind of hooked me as a kid and got me into Outkast. But you would always have to like stay up until one in the morning watching Yo MTV raps to catch it. But MTV was not playing the second and third singles off of that record. BET would though. So like if I was down visiting my grandparents, uh, my grandma, um, you could catch the video for Jazzy Jazzy Bell, and it felt like you unearthed tr- some sort of secret treasure. Like your eyes were. It was like the the Ark of the Covenant. Um, uh, BET also had a show called BET Uncut, and oh man. I won't dive too deep into BET Uncut here, but it was a show that ran in the early to mid-aughts, and it featured these videos that were too hot for TV normally. It was on insanely late late at night, like 2 or 3 in the morning, and you would, if you stayed up, you were treated to some wild imagery in these ones. Tip Drill by Nelly seems to have been the most controversial of them all, so there you go. That's BET Uncut for you, a little trip down memory lane to BET Uncut. Uh, I think you can also rent Karen as well. I would not suggest doing that, though. Is this on the honor roll? Nope. All right, finally here, Escape Room Tournament of Champions. This is directed by Adam Robitel, who directed the first movie, written by Will Honley, Maria Melnick, and Daniel Took. Uh, three writers on this bad boy. All right. Uh, starring Taylor Russell, Russell and Logan Miller. Six people unwillingly find themselves locked in another series of escape rooms, slowly uncovering what they have in common to survive. Joining forces with two of the original survivors, they soon discover they've all played the game before. All right. So first things first. I like the original escape room movie quite a bit. I don't think it's a new classic or anything, but it's a fun little PG-13 saw sort of movie. It's got a neat hook. And for the most part, it delivers what it promises, which is a group of people working together to escape a set of horror-oriented escape rooms that can kill it. Escape rooms very were very hot. I don't know if they still are. With uh, I think COVID kind of probably hit them. Um, but these rooms can kill them. Uh, I don't think actual escape rooms have. I've never been to one, though. So I would be very bad at that. I'm not good at puzzles. It's the same thing with this one. I don't know if I liked it more or less than the first, maybe a little less than it, just because the element element of surprise isn't there as much with the movie being kind of good. It's still kind of good. But I think this movie, it does a nice job of continuing the story of part one and moving it forward, but maybe not to the most interesting of places. I don't know. It's fine. I do think sometimes these rooms and these movies get a little CG heavy, and there are points when the sicko part of me misses the R rating as these are PG-13, but it's okay. Sometimes it's okay to just kind of like a movie. You don't have to love movie. You can just, you don't, I'm sorry, that came out of baby life. You don't have to love movie. You can just like movie. Uh, And I like both of these movies and they deliver what I call like nice Friday night fun. These are great video store rentals where movies that I would not rush out to see in a theater, but would be a really great watch late at night after you've rented like a big blockbuster or something like, so if you rented Black Widow or whatever, and then followed it up with Escape Room, that's a pretty good night. And it's mostly because of, because of Escape Room, to be honest. But what I want to do now is rank all of the main rooms from both movies. So I'm gonna, I started this, this episode with a ranking. I'm going to end it with a ranking. So beware, there will be some spoilers here. Turn back now if you want to know absolutely nothing about the escape room duology. I am ranking the main, main 10 rooms. And I'm sorry, I just, got a, uh, I just got an email. Hey, let's put this bad boy on mute right now real quick, shall we? Um, all right. So there we go. The black and white room from part one is my number 10 room. There are 10 main rooms here. 
this is barely a room. Both movies are similar in that they have a weird final room before the big reveals of the movie. There really isn't a great puzzle here. The two remaining characters just kind of fight over a syringe because they've been drugged. I had this last because I found it kind of annoying visually, and there's an awful strobe light during it. Also, it's one of those hilarious um, drug scenes in a movie where the characters are high, and it feels like it's directed by a guy that's never been high before. So that's my number 10, the black and white room from part one escape room number nine the bedroom the final room from tournament of champions this is similar to the final room from part one where it's barely a room i have this one higher though because without giving too much away i like the reveals here better than the ones in part one so that's really it for the bedroom and i think there's some nice character bits here too number eight the poison hospital from part one this one is cool i liked how grimy it was reminded me of a saw movie visually there are a couple of issues here though that kind of put it down the ranking for me The first is that because of the Saw similarities, this is a room where I kind of missed the R rating. I I was thinking Jigsaw was going to be there and I would get some really nasty kills. And two, the puzzle is just really silly. They have to use defibrillators to cause an irregular heartbeat, which is really funny because isn't it? Yeah. Um, But whatever. It's silly stuff. Number seven, the beach from Tournament of Champions. This is a big room. Biggest one in the movie, I think. Um, Biggest one in both movies. A big chunk of Tournament of Champions is spent here, similar to the Winter Cabin in Part 1. When I was a kid, I was terrified of quicksand. I don't know why. I think I probably watched a movie where a character sunk into it or something. I, But I wouldn't even go near sandboxes and stuff. Truly horrific and embarrassing stuff that I just admitted. Uh, sand and fire never look good as CG, though. Fire especially, but sand too this is a pretty good example of that as well the cg sand is it's too it's too cg heavy for my taste i do kind of like the look of the room though it's kind of like a rundown east coast boardwalk and it's got a big lighthouse always a big fan of lighthouses uh number six new york city from tournament of champions this is cool but also very big once again, this is where I kind of wanted to see an R rating. This this teases acid rain and it uses it, but I kind of want to see some like some melting, like street trash melting. I'm sorry, I, I I know it's not very evolved, but come on, guys, you got acid rain. Let's let's at least give me an uncut version on the DVD, uh, the Blu-ray. I did not. Oh, I rented this by the way. This one you can rent. Uh, number five, the eight ball pool hall. Also, another cool design is a nice ticking clock as well with the floor disappearing beneath the character's feet. It uses the song Downtown, Downtown to great effect as well. So sorry, Edgar Wright, uh, Escape Room beat you to it. This puzzle is pretty basic, but it's one that I love. It's I haven't thought of a while. It's one of those sliding sliding puzzles where you slide the slide the tiles on a little plastic thing and you make a picture. This uses vinyl records to make up a picture. I used to love those things, though. So maybe that's why I have this one a little higher than it should be. Number four, the train from Tournament of Champions. This is our this is our first big one in Tournament of Champions, and it kicks things off in the sequel in a fun way. It's our introduction to the characters who are the champions. Well, I, I don't think these are these are pretty two dimensional characters in both of these movies. It does a good enough job of introducing all of them and giving you kind of their quirks and their personality traits. Um, I like the poster puzzle in this as well. It's a spelling-based puzzle, and they can't rely on spell check either. So that might be the most terrifying aspect of this puzzle. The trap is okay. It's maybe a little bit random. It's just like electricity shooting all over the place. It does look pretty cool, though. Number three is the laser bank from Tournament of Champions. This is my favorite room in the sequel, Tournament of Champions. It's like Gringotts or some shit, but with lasers. It's like entrapment. It separates the characters. It makes them work together. This is one of the teamwork ones, one of the early ones. 
And the threat of lasers is always good. I love a good laser. Um, because I assume all of these characters have seen the first Resident Evil movie like I have, so they know how deadly these type of lasers can be, and they know what happens. They slice you. They slice you and dice you. Uh, this puzzle is, it's like a step pattern they have to compete complete on a floor. Whatever. This is all about the lasers. This, that's why it's so high, because of the lasers. Number two, I call it the Trapped Under Ice Cabin, because it's a great Metallica song. I just like how this one looks. Not a great puzzle, really. The main part, you have to find the key under the ice. So what they have to do here is they find a jacket, a fishing rod, a magnet, and a compass. They put the magnet on the fishing rod, and they, like, ice fish with it. Then they use the magnet to find a block of ice and a metal frame, and then they melt the ice by using their hands. Oh, and a character falls in the ice and dies when he gets trapped under it, so we get a death here. Whatever, this one just looks cool. It looks like Alkali Lake from the X-Men. Um, I expected Weapon X to show up here, so great stuff all around. And number one, my favorite escape room in all of the escape room franchise so far. Hopefully we get more. The oven room. This is the lobby from part one. This is the lobby from the first one. It's the first escape room we get in the series. This is my favorite because I think it does a really good job of introducing all the characters and the concept of the movie and then both movies. And also because it's when the trap part kind of kicks in, it looks like the inside of a toaster oven. Very terrifying. Used to be obsessed with looking inside a toaster oven when I was young. Uh, weird obsessions when I was a kid. I just, that's what this thing has helped me, uh, this podcast has helped me learn over the years. Also, there's a really silly moment where they find a copy of the book Fahrenheit 451, and they turn the oven dial to 451, which activates the heating coils inside of it. All very goofy, but it sets the fun tone for both of the movies to come. Is Escape Room Tournament of Champions on the honor roll? No, I don't think this is going to make my top 10. I don't think it has a chance to. But once again, it's okay to just enjoy and like a movie. It's okay to like movie. And I like both Escape Room movie. To wrap things up, VHS 94 made the honor roll. Escape Room, Escape Room 2 Tournament of Champions is fun. The rest of the movies I watched are not great, in my opinion. And one more thing before I go here, because Willie and I are going to dive deep into Halloween Kills in a week or two. I think we both want to watch it again, and we have our five-year anniversary either, depending on when you're listening to this, if you're a Patreon subscriber, you're, you're listening to this before. If you are not, it's in the free feed after, but we talked a little bit about um, Shin Godzilla for our five-year anniversary. But I should make mention, Halloween Kills made it on my honor roll. I know this is a controversial choice, and I will explain myself in due time. So there you go. Uh, I will see you next time. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this. You can check out all our other podcasts on the Midwest Podcast Network, patreon.com backslash MidwestPodNet, all sorts of fun stuff on there. Anyway, I'm out of here. Thank you for listening. Hail Ratma.